electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, David Seberg, Brian Kelly, and Steve Grasso. Tonight on Fast, it is a crypto crush just when you thought it was safe to get back in. The whole universe sinking today. But if you're getting nervous, Brian Kelly says there are three things you need to know. Plus, the battle for Wynn is heating up as the board snaps back at Elaine Wynn, the ex-wife of founder Steve Wynn. And at the heart of it, of it, some very juicy emails. We're bringing the very latest details on the drama, what it could mean for the stock. But first, we start off with what, a, what would be a wild day for healthcare stocks. President Trump laying out a new plan to curb the rising price of prescription drugs. Let's get to Eamon Javers at the White House for all the details. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The president stood in the Rose Garden today and unveiled this plan. It's one of his key campaign promises was to lower the price of prescription drugs for consumers. Now, the plan stopped short of letting Medicare negotiate directly with the drug companies, uh, but it did have a couple of key elements. And here's what the president rolled out today, uh, including rebate sharing in Medicare drug plans, promoting generic drugs, and, and also requiring drug manufacturers to publish list prices for drugs in their television advertisements. Here's what the president said about all this in the Rose Garden today. We're also increasing competition and reducing regulatory burdens so drugs can be gotten to the market quicker and cheaper. We're very much eliminating the middlemen. The middlemen became very, very rich. Right? Whoever those middlemen were, a lot of people never even figured it out. They're rich. They won't be so rich anymore. So, Melissa, if you're a pharmaceutical middleman, you might be a little bit worried about this speech. One of the other things that the president is not going to do here is he's not going to allow Americans to simply buy their drugs overseas. That's one suggestion that advocates of lower drug prices had pitched. Uh, the president pulling back from some of those more extreme measures. But nonetheless, uh, he and his Health and Human Services secretary saying this plan will be able to bring drug prices down in a matter of months, Melissa. All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers at the White House. And check out the whipsaw day for healthcare stocks. When Trump started speaking at 2 p.m. about curbing drug prices, they sank. But as he finished up, they quickly rebounded and then even soared higher, many of them, to session high. So is this the all clear signal that it is safe to buy healthcare? And will the sector, which is the third largest in the S&P 500, take the market higher? Tim. Well, I'll tell you what, it's the sector that I think a lot of people want to believe in. It's mm -hmm. the sector that I think has the most consistent earnings and has the valuations that make the most sense. And even without a tax deal, had 20 percent EPS growth. Um, United Healthcare mirrors that chart. And you can make an argument that they were, I think, a little bit more insulated um, from, so, you know, depending on who the middlemen really are. I'm not sure anybody really knows. Um, but the bottom line is I also think that some of the PBMs look OK here. I, I, I think the, the entire sector um, was underperforming because of the fact that I think there were other places that were easier to make an investment. This does make an investment. It's not all clear.
David. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, during the day, it was interesting when, the, when he started to speak, we saw a lot of the bids on our desk cancel. So I think the rollover was a lot of the buyers just taking a walk and see exactly what he was going to say. Halfway through the speech, we saw the buyers come rushing back in. You saw that market turn quickly because nothing was said. That was unexpected. I mean, a lot of people did anticipate that it was going to be a benign speech. It was very benign, I think, in the eyes of the investors. And I think generally, it could have been bad. He could have come up and talked about the fact that he wants PBMs to disclose spreads, which would have been a death blow. That didn't happen. Obviously, people are looking at this as a short-term win. However, it does keep the looming concern in the air of what's more to come in this in this. Is there a chance that Medicare gets involved? Because right? I think that was what was missing, that Medicare can, can haggle directly. And that was what he originally said mm -hmm. back when he was campaigning. And we, by the way, still don't know what's going to happen right. with Medicare. I mean, Health and Human Services has uh, however much time to do whatever they're going to do, or Congress, when it comes to Medicare. You're going to, to see Medicare a process ramp. of it going back and forth. So when you say, is it an all-clear to a certain extent, yeah, yes, because I don't know what that process is going to be. Who are they going to hear from? They're going to hear from the drug companies, which are not going to lobby them to be more stringent on it. So I would assume, unless the Democrats get in there and say, we want Medicare haggling directly, that could be the only unknown. They were thinking this is the all clear because it was clear that the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, who, by the way, used to head Eli Lilly's U.S. division, right. so right. close ties to the pharmaceutical right. industry, um, has said that this is going to, what the president laid out was going to be the blueprint for any changes. And what the president laid out was surely far short of what the worst Abs expectations were. It reminded me very much of the financial industry where there was not going to be any more regulations. It wasn't going to get any worse. So even if you just have that incrementally better, and the president talked about regulations changing so that perhaps drugs can get to market quicker, very much free market thinking in this. That's why I think, I do think it's an all clear for this because we could have had the worst. The worst didn't happen. It does appear that they're open to maybe figuring out a market solution to this, and they're going to roll back some of the regulations on these companies to make sure that, you know, that the margin doesn't have to be so thick. Well, so not, I do think it's an all clear. And I actually like the biotech. I, I think it's, I think I agree with you. I don't think it's an all clear for the entire space. I think you'd be careful with the distributors. The distributors are probably the ones most at risk, right, in the near term and long term. And I think the biotech names and the big cap farmers are, are more immune, given the fact they have more power. In IBB the is down 3 percent year to date. The only one that I, I like in this whole space, if you look at Pfizer, it's down 2 percent. Tim mentioned it. United Healthcare, the chart looks great. Yeah. Returns look great. So there's, it's not as if there's a whole potpourri of names that you can pick in this in this whole but sector. But they will smell nice that's, if you get that's that. Right. That's right. You can. You yeah, I will. usually just buy my potpourri. I don't pick it. So <laughs> I'm just saying. And the fact guy, that you guy, have potpourri. Yeah. Guy tends story. to go for the scented candles at Best Buy. But but if you if you listen to this speech, um, to me this felt also a lot like checking the box. Um, right. the, the president is having a very very call it successful, whatever you want it run, of checking off campaign promises. And, yeah. and there's no question, um, especially when you think about who is really in charge, right. Mr. Azar. So, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of room for this to be a better backdrop. So let's break it down in terms of baskets. We saw a very, very sharp reaction amongst the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit right. managers. Those right. are the middlemen, whoever they are, that the president had referred yeah, to. ESRX, for instance, had a 7%. Intraday. From trough to peak, yeah. intraday. Right. I mean, it was an amazing turnaround that we saw. Would anybody buy those guys? Um, no, because coming into this, it's down 2.5%. It's not exactly like – if you say, okay, now you've got that out of the way, we can go back to what we were doing, it's down 2.5% year to date. It hasn't performed, so no. I, I think you, you go with the places where you have the best balance sheets and you have the best uh, valuation argument, and to me, that's biotech. Now, granted, biotech has been the biggest disappointment over the last couple of years. If you think about it, um, those are companies that have really underperformed, especially at times we've gotten kind of this tech move. But um, – 
Well, I'll tell you what, if you think about Gilead, which is a name that continues yeah. to disappoint people, this looks the most interesting, but how long have I been saying that? I like the balance sheet. All right, well, the rally in healthcare stocks helping to boost the overall market today. The S&P 500 seeing its biggest weekly gain in two months. But the chart master says there are signs the market rally could be losing steam. Carter Worth is over at the plasma to break it down. Hi, Carter. Hi there, right? Well, so the debate continues, meaning we've basically been range-bound since uh, the highs of January, and we've worked into the apex, which... Um, uh, anyone and, and everyone uh, is drawing the line. So let's draw the lines and talk about it because it was a week, obviously, for the bulls um, because we did break above the ever so slightly, right, the, the downtrend line in effect since the plunge, the ricochet, the revisit of the low, and so forth. So the question is, is this really an all-clear sign or is it just more of the same? My hunch is it's more of the same, that we're still very much stuck and that the highs of January 26 will not be exceeded anytime soon, and that the lows, which are more at risk, that we're likely to be stuck here and really neither reward anyone making general bets, only to reward people making idiosyncratic bets. But let's look at this wedge in the context of the longer-term picture. So we've been in this well-defined channel for a decade, and then, of course, with the excess of the uh, prior 12 months, we blew out through the top. So we've got our wedge. We're still sitting here in that. Now, even if we were to go higher, we're kind of stuck on the top band. A lot of people make the case that that's support. Ultimately, I think the real issue is whether we come down and test the middle. And the middle, this was already down 11, 12 from the high. The middle is, uh, represents a 15% peak to trough decline. Ultimately, I think that's what's a better bet than going on to make new highs. Um, we shall see. Um, Individual securities are in much worse shape than the market itself, as we know, because large cap tech names in particular are holding up the market. How does, I was going to ask you about that sector, because we've seen a real return to the momentum names in particular, Carter. So uh, does the sector overall look good? Can the sector go higher and continue that momentum, even if the S&P 500 resumes that channel? Sure. So if you think about it, it it's a barbell uh, phenomenon going out. The sort of the best area of the market, small caps have come to life. In fact, while the Russell 2000 has not made a new high, the S&P 600 small cap index is making new all-time highs right now. Now, you could say that's an expansion of breadth. Here's the real reality. Again, the entire value of the Russell 2000 is the same as the top three stocks in the S&P. So it, it can't help the market. At the other end, the super cap names are making new relative highs. The top five stocks are equal to the same as the bottom 250 in the S&P. And that aggregate, top five, has made new relative highs to the S&P. So it's the dead middle certain industrials, certain healthcare names which are struggling, certain financials, uh, it would need to come to life to get us to new highs. All right. Carter, thank you. We don't have time to invite you over today. So uh, wow. thanks for the announcement. I don't know what to do with that. Well, no, hold on, hold on. You can stick around for options action because Carter will be back. He will be back. I'm going to Exactly. And he's going to talk about one soaring sector he thinks is going to sell off. All right. Let's trade this. What do you think of the levels here? So when you look at Carter, what he said that we broke out of that trend, that's around the 2783 mark in the S&P cash. Uh, I'm sorry, 2683 mark in the S&P cash. I think people that are still bearish in this market have to see the market go back to end of February highs or middle of March levels, which is 2800. Let's call it 2800. That's going to convince a lot of people, or, or else this could just be a revisit of those lows again. All right, coming up, just when you thought it was safe to get back into the water, Bitcoin crashing back to uh, below 9,000. So how do you know when it's time to stop holding? 
maybe start <laughs> foldling. <laughs> Our own crypto baller Brian Kelly will break it down. Plus, the Win board strikes back, taking aim at Elaine Wynn, ex-wife founder Steve Wynn, by releasing a number of dramatic emails. We'll bring you the latest details, tell you what it means for the stock. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Wynn under pressure as the board fights back against Elaine Wynn, the ex-wife of founder and namesake Steve Wynn. For more on this story, let's get to Contessa Brewer in the newsroom, who's been tracking all the details. Hi, Contessa. Yeah, Melissa. In this war of the winds, Wynn Resorts has whipped out a new weapon against Elaine Wynn in the battle for the board. She's recently launched an initiative called Restore Wynn, aimed at overhauling the board, beginning with an effort to boot legacy director John Hagenbuck at next week's proxy vote. Today, the board responded with a letter to shareholders questioning Elaine's motives. Quote, as a director who was an integral part of the old win for an extended period of time, it's difficult to see how she will be helpful in driving our evolution. Of course, the majority of the board is part of old win, as is general counsel Kim Sinatra and current CEO Matt Maddox, who's been with the company since the beginning. The board then went on to publicize letters to and from Elaine Wynn. She was trying to meet with the three women newly appointed to the board. The board only wants a meeting with all of the directors and only after the shareholder meeting next Wednesday. Well, notably, Chairman Boone Wayson writes to Elaine, quote, we expect that the discussions at the meeting would not be made public. Hmm. Elaine Wynn's spokesperson calls the release of the letters unfortunate and points out Elaine is not pushing for a spot on the board herself, that she sent a response letter today accusing the chairman of spreading around fiction and once again requesting to meet alone with the new directors. A lot of back and forth here, Melissa. Now, Elaine Wynn is the largest shareholder right now, right? That's correct. She owns 9% of shares and there's this adversarial relationship and it's um, something that she keeps pointing out. She says, come on, if they had a man who was their largest shareholder, would they be talking about and to their largest shareholder this way? Um, in fact, she says that this is part of the problem in the way that the management and the board is proceeding. Oh, so she makes it a gender issue as opposed to the fact that she was divorced from Steve Wynn who many people say all the board members are connected to too closely. She's also equally um, concerned that they are only seeing her as an ex-wife right. and rather rather than, as she points it out, and she describes herself as a co-founder uh, who helped build this business into what it was. Right. All right, Contessa, thank you. Contessa sure. Brewer um, from the newsroom. Tim. Well, Contessa has been on top of this story. Uh, you know, just talking about in terms of the operations. I mean, if you think about what's going on in Macau, the mass market seems to be growing. Um, they're crushing it in Macau. The high end in Las Vegas is also working. If you talk to most investors and in when they think that this board refresh is actually shareholder friendly. So bottom line is this company is coming out of this thing very well. But a lot of this has to do with the core businesses that are crushing it. Yeah, I thought they had a public relations problem in the past, but now that Steve Wynn is out of there, you don't want to see a board fighting like this in public, but they can change the name of the hotels to Encore, solves a, a PR problem. I think they're going to be fine after this. Just in the short term, concern about a double top here, but a breakthrough that, we're going higher. Sometimes when you have no clue how the stock or the turmoil is going to turn out, you look to the chart, and when you compare, I, I always compare the obvious Wynn, Las Vegas, and then the reverse of it, because it's not as heavily dependent on Macau, it's more Las Vegas, MGM. Wynn is actually the best chart in the space. It's up 60% year to date. It's, it's actually, even when it was going through all that turmoil, didn't really get that damage technically. So I would say it would win. Look, I mean, I think near term, you're going to see the up and down here. I think the Boston <clears> linchpin, <throat> as far as getting that license, super important. But the, the growth story is still intact as far as the momentum they're seeing in the business model. So I think that at some point it's a buy. I'd probably stay away for a little bit and see how this shakes out.
Still ahead, three major Dow components on deck for earnings next week. And the traders are betting one name is about to break out. We've got all the details. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Yeah, that's what a top technician says is going to happen to industrials. He'll show you why. Plus, backed by popular demand, it's Bitcoin week. Pardue. The biggest names in crypto revealed to us where they see opportunity now, including a rare interview with Bitcoin Jesus, Roger Ver. Deal with it. That's all next week on Fast. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin getting wrecked as South Korea's largest cryptocurrency was uh, exchange was reportedly raided by prosecutors. Upbit suspected of fraud for allegedly selling cryptos that it did not actually hold. Bitcoin sinking suddenly yesterday, now down about 10 percent since then. So even though the crypto universe is hoping for a moon boom next week at the major blockchain conference in New York, we thought this would be a perfect time to channel Kenny Rogers for a crypto class on not when to photo them, but when to photo them. Our crypto baller Brian Kelly is over at the plasma with the lesson. Beaks. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Melissa. So you want to look at these things and have a thesis going into them. And of course, you know, my view on this entire asset class is one, it's a brand new emerging asset class. It's a disruptive technology that's going to change a lot that has the potential to change a lot about what I do every day, a lot about financial services. So that's my general thesis. But when I'm trading, I also have catalysts that I'm looking for. So number one, if you have a catalyst coming up, and the, and the stock or the cryptocurrency is not acting the way that it should or as expected, then you might say that the thesis has changed. That's your first warning sign. Number two, new information comes out. We all know that stocks and, and currencies move on new information. Frankly, that's really the only way they move. Most things are priced in until that new piece of information comes out. When that new news comes out, you watch the direction of the cryptocurrency, and that'll give you the signal that you need. So if there's new information available, that's number two when you start thinking about FODL. And then always, 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 when I trade, I have a predetermined stop. So I know going into any trade what my risk reward is. I always look for, I risk $1 to make $3. That's the minimum that I will do. So if your predetermined stop is hit and reached, then you got a photo. So let's just take a look at one example where we did this, okay? We're going to the next chart here, which is Litecoin. Remember Litecoin had this massive run-up, right? That was in December, or November, December. Then, it, then, we, then we came down. And then we had another little head fake here. So let's clear those out. And let's take a look at this head fake and what happened. And I want to draw a line because you had an uptrend, okay? And you had a thesis that perhaps Litecoin was going to be the, the test net for Bitcoin, that it was going to have a lot of different additions to it. And so you want to be long. But right here, that's where you had a problem. That's where you start to need, need to think about fodling, right, instead of hodling. Not only is perhaps new information coming out, but now you've broken a trend line. You've broken a predetermined stop area. And then look like what happened after. We just actually pancaked there. So that's when you fodle. You've got to have those three elements going. BK, what, what do you do when, I know you want to risk a dollar to make $3. What do you do when you want to get back into the trade? So you're out of the trade, you made three times your money into Bitcoin. That could happen in three days. So how do you know when to get back in? Yeah, for me, I, once I'm done with a trade, I divorce that trade and look at it with fresh eyes. So, I, you know, personally, I'll get back in that same day if something new comes in. I would just reverse that process, right? 
new information comes in, changes, it gives me a new thesis, and then I, ha and then I have an, another three to one risk reward, I'll get right back in. That's kind of just my framework of how I trade. With cryptocurrencies, there's constantly news. There's this concept of Bitcoin time. Everything is just moving so fast in Bitcoin time that, like you said, you know, two, three days, the world can change. Should we invite BK back? I guess so. Yeah. Okay, All come right. on over, Beeks. Ryan will bring the chair in. <laughs> Thanks for having Thanks, me, guys. Hey, welcome back. Hey, hey good to have you. Right here, BK. Hey, I'm up high. So it's Friday. Yeah. Next week is consensus, that big uh, conference that we were talking about yesterday as well as just before. Are you going long into the conference? Yeah, absolutely. You, how well, do you position? I, yeah. Long, long, most of the large coins. And what you'll see is starting on, a little bit started today, there was a conference in Brooklyn, Ethereal, that's the Ethereum conference. Uh, but what you'll start to see as people present at, these, at the consensus conference, you'll start to see the coins of the presenters move too. And that's how a lot of people are trading it. But consensus is a week, blockchain week is a time when a lot of new information comes out. When you showed the chart of Litecoin, it almost looked like every coin. That was the, that was the chart of Bitcoin. So you know, do, do you, how aggressive are you when you see these outsized moves, almost to play relative value or to take advantage of something that you think's been overbought? I mean, how yeah. active will you be? And then you, you say you stop, you give yourself a stop, but with this kind of volatility, how much rope do you give yourself yeah. before you've actually hung yourself too early? Right. Great question, Tim. Uh, so, so, so I would say in, in terms of all cryptocurrencies are highly, highly correlated, highly, highly correlated to Bitcoin. So I almost look at Bitcoin like the S&P 500, right? That's kind of my leader. And if I see Bitcoin moving, then I want to move into the higher volatility coins, maybe like a Litecoin, maybe like an Ethereum. But again, they're all going to trade together. And yes, you know, my traditional money management style and equities and global macro has had to be adjusted a bit because of this volatility. You got to have a strong stomach for this stuff. Oh, for sure. Um, time for a very special special final trade in honor of all the moms out there keeping the world going. Enjoy your Mother's Day, everybody else. Make sure you call your mom. Let's go around the horn for the final trade. BK. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And you want to buy IBB, the biotech's looking strong. Tim. You know, Mom, I hate to copy Brian, but Gilead, stay in biotech. Happy Mother's Day. Right. Ha happy Tag. Mother's Day and happy Ethereum conference. I'm a buyer of Ethereum here. I guess I have to wish my mom a happy Mother's Day. Like you didn't want to? You didn't want to? What's wrong with you? Happy Mother's Day, mom. You know what? I think you might. I know. I hope your mom is not listening. Match group, final trade. All right. Happy Mother's Day to my mom, my mother-in-law, all the moms out there. That does it for us here on Fast. We'll catch you Monday at five. Don't move yet, though. Options action starts right after this break. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.